0: This morning we will be reading verses from the first three chapters of Genesis Beginning in chapter 1, verse 27 So God created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them Chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat it, nor shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took up its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate.
1: Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. You being here is an encouragement to us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, I am David, and I've been introduced to many of you this morning over and over. As a matter of fact, Brent Fetzer uh, handed me a visitor's card and asked me to fill that out, and uh, I appreciate the friendliness of this congregation. I like it so much, I think I'm going to come back tonight. From the depths of my heart, I tell you, no matter where I roam, there's no place like Mount Juliet, and I I love you and appreciate the opportunity to work with you. I've been putting off this series for years. Several of you have said from time to time, please do a series on parenting. It's a difficult series for me to do because I feel so inadequate at the topic itself. And so I hope you know, and I just want you to know that I know that You're not hearing from an expert this morning or for the next few Sunday mornings. We're simply going to take and look at God's Word, and we're going to see what God's Word has to say about one of the most important topics that a family can discuss. You know, Bill Cosby, I'm sure many of you have heard of his rendition of the passages of Scripture that were just read. Now, of course, it's not accurate with the Scripture but it does bring a little bit of humor and a whole lot of reality to the struggle that we as parents have. God mentioned to Adam, now that fruit that's in the midst of the garden, do not eat of it. And Adam said, what? Huh? We have forbidden fruit? Hey, Eve, did you know we have forbidden fruit? No way. Yes, we do. God says a reminder, do not eat of that fruit. Why? Because I'm your father, I told you so. A little bit later, God looks over and He sees them taking an unforbidden fruit break. He goes back over and says, Did I tell you not to do that? Oh, uh, looks at Eve. Didn't I tell you not to do that? I don't know. Looks back to Adam. Why would you do that? She made me do it. No, I didn't. Yes, I did. No, I didn't. So God decided I'm going to punish them. And the way I'm going to punish them, I'm going to give them their own children. And that's set in order the pattern that still exist even to this day. Now for you young kids, I want to emphasize a lot of that I just told you is not accurate. What we read earlier in the Scriptures is what is accurate. But the reason your parents are laughing is because we can relate to that in the fact that it's not easy being a parent. And the truth is, one of the greatest examples that we have in the Scriptures of it not being easy is when God created His first children. He created first Adam and Eve, and from the beginning there were struggles in those relationships. And so if your family this morning is experiencing struggles between a parent and a child, I'd urge you to say to yourself, I'm not giving up. Families have had those problems as long as the earth has been around. Instead of giving up, I just want to go back and I want to see what's God's will for our home. What's God's way in my life for who I am in that home? If I'm a mother, if I'm a father, if I'm a child. Let's really leave here this morning with a greater determination to have a home more like God wants it to be? Will you agree to that this morning as we begin this study and as we study this for a few weeks? I know there's a lot of good homes here. It is so impressive to see men and women and youth that love each other and respect each other in their homes. I don't doubt that there's great homes here. But all of us, all of us have room for improvement. Let's go back and let's evaluate our life and let's evaluate our families and let's see what God's will would be for us this morning. The first thing that we see as we look in Genesis, the first chapter. In Genesis, we read in verse 27 what Michael has already read. And I want you, as I read this again, to think of the word image. What in the world does God mean by the word image? He says, so God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them. Now, to give us a little more insight to this, we can drop down to the second chapter and read verse 7. This was not in our text this morning, but notice verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now what does it mean there that he created man in his own image? What does it mean when he said that he breathed in his nostrils the breath of life? Because at that very moment we could have looked around if we would have been there and we could have seen elephants running around. We could have seen dogs or cats or we could have seen oxen or goats and all of them were living beings. Why did he not breathe into them the breath of life? They were alive. So what's the difference? What's the difference in all of these living creatures that were already made at that time and God breathing into man the breath of life? You see, the breath of life goes back to that previous passage when he says he's made after God's own image. Do you think that Adam had God's hair coloring? Is that why he said, oh, he's made after my own image? Do you think that, that he would say to Eve, oh, you have my, my complexion, that's why you're made Of course not. We're not made after the the physical image of God because God is a spirit, and they that worship God must worship in him in spirit and truth. John the fourth chapter, verse 23 and 24 teaches that. And so what is the image that we're after? We're after the spirit of God in the sense that we have been given a soul. It was breathed into mankind, and our soul will live on after our death. Now I think I've shared with you before that on one occasion when this point was being developed in a sermon, not about parenting, but in another sermon at another place, this sweet, sweet lady met me in the back and she was so mad. And she began telling me about this wonderful dog that was a part of their family. And she just knew that that dog was so human-like that it had a soul. And she said, I dare you to just take the Bible and prove that my dog doesn't have a soul. Thought on it a little bit, and you know, Peter, he recounted the occasion of the ark. You know, there were a lot of living beings in that ark. But you remember, Peter said there were only eight souls in that ark. What's the point? We're living in a time where there's a lot of things competing for the worth and the value of humans. There's nothing wrong with loving our pets. But friends, a pet doesn't come close to the worth of a human simply because God breathed into every human being a soul. He didn't breathe that into a dog or a cat. He didn't breathe into your career a soul. But He did into your children's being. He didn't breathe into your hobby a soul. But He did breathe that into your children. He didn't breathe into your television and and into your magazines or, or into all of the things that you love spending your time on. He didn't breathe into those things a soul. But He did breathe those things into your children, that being a soul. The point is this. Why should we value our children? I don't think I have to convince many here, if any, this morning, why we should value, but still, let's stop and ask God. Let's not go on this because we say, oh, they're my children, I just love them so much. Really, why should Christians love their children? And the greatest reasons why Christians should love their children is because they have a soul. They are created after the image of God. And they are given to them in care from God. You know, we may can say, he or she has daddy's eyes or mama's hair, but they have an image like God. I need to realize the worth of a child. My child is worth far more than my career, than my pastimes, than my interest. They're worth more than all of that because they're given a soul. Go with me, if you will, to Psalms 127. In Psalms 127, we're going to see another significant point from God, and that is. That children are a heritage from God. And, and let me interrupt this while you're turning there, Psalms 127. Everything we're seeing this morning is a foundation that everything else about parenting can be built upon. If we do not have this stone in place, we cannot have the Christian home that God would want us to as parents and children. And so these points this morning, yes, they are very fundamental. But they must be in place for everything to rise from there. And so we also have to have this understanding. Not only are they a soul, but children are a heritage of God. Look at Psalms 127, and I'm going to read verse 1. It's not on your screen there, but just for interest's sake, this is a beautiful verse in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. God needs to be building our homes. We understand what it is to have a contractor that builds a home. Well, we have a family. Who's going to build our family? Who's going to build our home? Where are we going to get the blueprints where we're going to find the purpose how are we going to do this construction god must be the answer to each of that and so now let's look at verse 3 through 5 and see what god wants us to understand about the worth of a home and especially children verse 3 behold children are a heritage from the lord the fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior so are the children of one's youth Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gates. Solomon is writing this particular psalms, and of course, psalms is written in poetry, and so we have to understand the symbolism. The symbolism is of warriors lined up there. Which warrior is the most blessed? Well, if you have an enemy shooting at you, and you have your bow, and you have one arrow in your quiver, and the guy next to you has his bow, and he has a dozen arrows in his quiver, and the enemy's firing, and you fire your one shot, it's not going to take you long to look over and say, he's more blessed than me. Look at all the eras that he has there. That is the symbolism. That's the the, the story that he uses in a poetic sense to say, what's a blessing? Uh, Are children a blessing? Absolutely children are a blessing. God, what do you want us to see about them? Notice that phrase there back in verse 3 where he says, children are a heritage. And I love these three words. From the Lord. The word heritage literally means that which has been inherited. You know, I remember when, when my uh, grandmother passed away and my grandfather had already passed away on my mother's side and, and, of course, we were very much involved in the whole funeral process and all. But after we went back home, Mama called one day and said, David, uh, the whole family, cousins that live close by, uncles and aunts, everybody's coming in and, and we're cleaning out the home." is there anything particular you want? And I said, well, I, I don't want to ask for something that other family members really want, but yes, I definitely want something from their home, just as as keepsake. She said, well, what do you want? And I just thought, what is it that I see all the time? And I said, you know those everyday plates that are white that have those little pink roses all around them? Matter of fact, I just said plates, and Mama said, you mean her everyday plates? I said, Yeah. I mean, those that have a pink bowl that goes with them. She said, you want those? I said, yeah, I've eaten on those all my life. That's what I think of when I think of going to my grandmother's house is that those plates. Now, if you'll come to my house, I can serve you on those same plates. I've been eating on them all my life. Now, we understand clearly what an inheritance is. It's a gift from someone else. Now, notice in the example I just gave you, there's not really a lot of worth to what I just said to you. Because to you, those plates, not you probably wouldn't buy them at a yard sale for a quarter apiece. Now, to me, you understand why they have great worth. But to you, they would have no worth. So the Lord doesn't want to confuse things here and just say it's an inheritance because all of us have probably inherited things that had really not a great amount of worth to them. So did you notice that next phrase? In verse 3, not only did he say they are from the Lord, but he says, the fruit of the womb is a reward. Now that reward there is speaking of the great price. In other words, yes, it's from the Lord, and it's something of a great reward. It's something of a payment, and it's a wonderful, it's a positive thing. Children are a blessing. Our society questions that sometimes. When we go out in the world and we work through social services, we realize that there are many, many people that do not believe that children are a blessing. But I need to realize today, if I'm a child, that God values me. And God expects adults to value me. And if adults in my life have not done that, it's not because that's God's plan. God's plan is for children to be considered a gift from Him and a great reward at that. I want to read to you just a few lines out of an article that when I read the last part of this article, I honestly had to go back and read it a few times. This person is very serious in this article, and uh, I wouldn't give them much credence in anything that they write after reading this article. But in this particular article, they were uh, writing an article about ways that you can enjoy things that the wealthy can enjoy if you don't have much money. And they give nine things that you can do. It's creative traveling tips, the way you can go places that otherwise you might not be able to go or wear certain things in a wardrobe that you might not otherwise be able to afford. Things like that that as I was reading along, yeah, that makes sense, makes sense, makes sense. And got down to number nine, and here's how number nine reads. Get married, and this is talking about being happy, equated with rich, which is a very worldly mindset anyway. Get married, but don't have kids. According to Andrew Oswald, an economist in England and something of an expert on the intersection of money and happiness, getting married adds a happiness factor that is equivalent to having $100,000 added to your household income. Now this is not true of having children, Oswald says. His survey has found that adding kids to your life or not having them at all didn't seem to change people's happiness one way or the other which is good, because kids are expensive. And since most rich people just send their children away to a boarding school anyway, you could argue that the best thing for living cheap but looking rich is to not have the little monsters in the first place. And again, I emphasize to you, this is a serious article all the way through. This is a very worldly advice on um, what's the worth of children? Well, getting married is, it adds a lot of happiness to life, but don't have those children. Cost you a lot of money. They just turn into monsters. I can't imagine that. But again, I'm wanting this this morning to lay off the fundamentals from God's Word. You know what? If we think like God thinks, we can't imagine that. Because God doesn't look at the cost and the inconveniences that children bring into our lives as trouble. God looks at the gift that He gives us through giving children. As Mark has prayed this morning, beautiful petition to God on all of our behalf about our families. He really prayed the outline of this sermon. He talked about the fact that there are soul from God placed in our care for a little while. We've just studied the fact that it's a soul. this point, we've just studied it's from God. Look with me, if you will, to 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter. 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter will make the point that God helps us to see through a story. We just read from Solomon in the psalmist, and now we're going to read about his father in a situation where his older brother died. His brother died in in infancy. And you remember, this is just after Nathan has came and reminded David of the horrible sin he's committed and the need that he has to make that repentance in his life. And so he makes that turn and he repents, but yet the consequences are not all taken away, and so the son becomes very ill and then dies. And so we read in 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, look in verse 22 and 23, David says, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David realized upon the death of his infant son that that soul was going to go and it was going to be with God for an eternity. And he wanted to share that same eternity with his son. When we think of the aspect of parenting... Do we believe and do we live with our actions reflecting the fact that we realize our children will spend an eternity somewhere? Of course, we need to live in view of that ourselves every day also. But Matthew, the 25th chapter, makes it very clear the destiny of anyone that's on this earth. The Lord is going to come, He's sitting on that throne, and He's going to make a division. All of the sheep are going to be on the right side, and they will be delivered to the Father. All of those that will be divided, the left side, the goats, they will depart from the presence of God forever, damned into eternal hell. I have to believe that. I can't be the parent God wants me to be and not build everything that I do as a parent upon that concept. My children just like me will spend an eternity somewhere. They came from God. They are a gift from God, they are a reward from God. They are in our care, and in the following weeks we'll talk about the things that we can do in the area of discipline, whether it's training, correction, punishment, etc., to help our children be pointed back to God. But the last point this morning, let's go to Ephesians the 5th chapter. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, we can place all of this in the area of the responsibility, especially in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the father. But as we look at it as it relates to children, this would definitely be shared with the mother also. Now, Ephesians, the fifth chapter, let's be real clear. I don't, I don't want to mislead you in the scriptures. We're studying a passage where he has talked about the responsibility and the blessing that Christ has been to the church. He was the head of the church in the tremendous sacrifice he made for the church to be saved. And then he lays that as a parallel beside the fact that a husband ought to be a blessing to his family, that a husband ought to be head of the home. He ought to be willing to make those sacrifices so the spiritual blessings would flow throughout his home also. Now, that's the parallel there. Now, I think that it's appropriate to make at least application out of this text that if that's what the head of the home is doing for his wife, he would do those same things for his children. And so let's notice here as we see this, we're in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and let's back up and begin reading at 25, but especially notice 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy, holy and without blemish. Christ, why did you even come to this earth? Why did you die on the cross? Why were you resurrected? Why did you leave a message of truth for us? And the answer to all of that would come out of 27. I want the church to be saved on judgment day. I want them to live a life that is holy and without blemish so that they can hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now he takes that teaching and applies it To the husbands, what are you doing for your wives, husbands? Are you leading your home in the way that you're helping your wife and your children prepare for the day of judgment? And mothers, the same application is true for your children. Are you leading your children in a way to help them prepare for the day of judgment? Because the reality is, that's what makes successful parenting. As we close this morning, I want to ask you a question and then close with an example from the Scripture. In this question, I want to ask you to reflect on your own life and your own parenting. First and foremost, are we raising athletes? Intellectual standouts. First and foremost, are we striving to raise popular teenagers? Teenagers that are stylish and well-dressed? Musicians? Just fill it in with anything. First and foremost, are we striving to raise those individuals? Or can we honestly say first and foremost we're striving to mold a soul that has been loaned to us from God so that they can grow closer to God all the days on this earth and return back to spend an eternity with Him? To be the athlete or the musician those things will come, but they should never come at the expense of a child being pointed toward God. When I was little, about four years old, one of my earliest memories that I have, and I know I have the memory because of an emotional feeling that I had I would go to my mother and I would say, Mama, tell me that story again about that woman that prayed for a baby. And she'd scoop me up and we'd go to our green rocking chair. We always sat and talked in and she would hold me and rock me and she would begin telling me about Hannah that wanted a baby so bad. She prayed and she cried and she promised God that if He would give her that baby, that she would give that son back in service to God. And God answered her prayer. When that little boy was just weaned, she took him and she placed him in the priest's care and she gave her little boy back to God's service. And for the rest of the days of his life, he grew up without his mother and father there. And he remained faithful into his death in God's service. And when my mother would tell that story, I would cry. And I remember the pain that I would feel. You know, today, I almost cry for another reason. Today, I think about it from the parent's standpoint. By nature, I'm selfish. Am I willing to say, as I parent my children, not my will, but thy will be done? I can't say that. I'm messing up somewhere in my parenting. I can rest assured. Because they're a soul given from God that will spend an eternity somewhere. And God's placed it in parents' hands to help shape them and mold them and point them back to God. And that way, we all should become a hannah type. Before I can work on my children, I have to work on myself. If your life is not right with Christ this morning, I urge you to make it right. There's a father that wants to adopt you into his family, Romans the 8th chapter. He wants you to cry, Abba, Father. He wants you to look upon him as a father that loves like no other. He's a Father that will forgive. He's a Father that has already sacrificed. He's a Father that wants to spend time with you every moment of an eternity. If you haven't been baptized into His Son for the remission of sins, won't you do that today? Or if you have, but yes, somewhere you've separated from that Father. We all can relate to children going through rebellious times, but there's no excuse for it. We still need to repent and we need to come back to our Father and we need to make wrongs right. And if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.